Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. By the way, a little shout out tomorrow on Trending's Joe Sakura, and we're going to be doing Ask a Therapist Anything, what's getting in the way of your happiness, marriage, relationships, whatever might be going on. That is your hour tomorrow here on Trending. Joining me today will be Philip Campbell, who's the author of Matron of Paris, chronicling the story of life of St. Genevieve as a fiction. It's a historical fiction, very fun, uh, appropriate for really all ages. And it's neat to see these stories of the saints coming to life. I'm also going to share with you, if you or someone you know is in that season of life of looking for a college, a university to go to, but you want to go to Catholic university while still also studying the topic of your choice. Well, we're going to be joined in a little bit by our guest from Colby Academy discussing an online college fair. How cool you don't have to travel across the country. Maybe you don't have the money to do that right now. You can learn about these universities and ask your questions in a college fair coming up this weekend. So stay tuned. We'll be sharing news about that college fair this coming Friday. Also taking your questions today, one 914 We've had some questions come in about adoption and others, so happy to take those, whether on social media or, again, calling one 914 Joining me now is author Philip Campbell. He's written a handful of books, including Wounds of Love, a recent book on the story of St. Padre Pio, and I'm currently reading his book, Matron of Paris, as I mentioned earlier, The Story of St. Genevieve. Uh, Phil Campbell, welcome to Trending. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I'm really enjoying walking through this book because you do something unique here in that you bring the life of the story of a saint to life to us, basing the story on real stories of the saint and then filling in the details with creative liberty in a way and a means to help bring this saint onto our radar. And I think it's really neat, especially because I'm a reader. I love to read. And so um, it gives the opportunity to read, you know, a story about a saint, which is sometimes I think missing in our Catholic culture uh, with regard to the saints. Like we hear facts about them. Uh, how many homilies have we heard where five facts about a saint are rattled off and then someone moves on in the homily? That's all we really know about the saint. So what inspired you to write this book about St. Genevieve? What was it in her life? Well, I had, um, well, first of all, I'm really glad you're enjoying the book. Um, and uh, secondly, I had, um, I had just completed the, the Padre Pio book that you mentioned and uh, was looking to a second book, and I wanted to kind of pivot and do a female saint instead of a, a male saint. And I was, looking for, um, I was looking for a saint who had a real kind of exciting story that would dramatize good as a historical fiction. Um, and I read St. Genevieve's life in Butler's Lives of the Saints, just like a little paragraph of information about her. And I was blown away how much uh, stuff she was involved with, how she just came from obscurity from a shepherd family in the country in early medieval France and how she was involved with, uh, with these kings and bishops and saints and all the things she did uh, and, and made such an impression on the people that she became the, the patron saint of the city of Paris. So it was kind of like, I don't know, I imagine what it must be like when a director reads a good script and just says, yes, this will turn into a great movie. And I read her life and said, yes, this will dramatize as a historical fiction book um, splendidly. And I think it did. You start out with her at a very young age, uh, chronicling the story of her interaction with her family. What are some of the stories in her life, real stories in her life, that you know were brought into this book uh, that particularly stood out to you? Um, 
Well, a real story that stood out to me was that she was <clears throat> identified as having a religious vocation when she was only around eight years old. And this happened by she was attending a liturgy said by uh, by St. Germanus of Auxerre. And he witnessed he was a, a, a holy bishop who witnessed a, a glowing light over her head when he looked out during the liturgy and saw this girl uh, amongst the people. He saw this light on her head. And then he went and spoke with her and her family after the liturgy and uh, and through speaking with her, discerned that she had a religious vocation. She was too young to pursue it uh, at that point, but he gave her a little medallion to wear around her neck as a sign of uh, uh, God's call and, and basically told her, when you get older, come join the convent in Paris. And she was faithful to that and, and did eventually. So it was really inspiring to hear how that was identified in her at such a young age. It is curious kind of thing to think about because I find that often I think vocations that start to spark at a very young age like this, Philip, are often um, stifled by the ways of the world. Now, after having written uh, the book, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, having really thought through, you know, stories like St. Genevieve's, what would you say kind of in retrospect after having studied her story and the stories of other saints uh gets in the way of vocations today when they're blooming at a young age and how should we foster them? Well, in St. Genevieve's time, it was considered a very honorable thing and a very high calling to join the religious life. And I know it is too among Catholics, um, you know, among our communities here today, but it's very much the minority in the secular world today. We don't see when, when I go out to the store, or go shopping, do, you know, I don't see religious brothers and sisters around like you would in the early Middle Ages where they were an integral part of the community that you'd see out and about working, praying, evangelizing. So people today are less cognizant of just what the religious life is and what it entails. And consequently, religious are not role models. You know, when you when you speak to a young person about who their role models are, Unless they're a very devout Catholic, they're not going to think of religious if they're even aware of their existence. So um, Genevieve lived in a society where not just the devout, but everyone understood who religious were and looked up to them and uh, and admired them. And so it was a very socially um, it was a very socially acceptable thing and praiseworthy. And I think that's what's missing, where even if today, even if someone has a vocation, it's very, it's much more rare, and there's more, uh, there's more of a sense of oh, you're you're giving up, you you might, you know, you're giving up a family, you're giving up a career, you you're gonna, you know, you, you're gonna go live alone in this monastery, whatever, in, in some life that that for most people in the world doesn't have uh, much value that they can see. So uh, it's kind of sad. I wish that in society we still had more religious that were visible in society. Um, and that they had more of a profile, you know, so that people were aware of them. I think that's what was really different here. So if, if you think a young person in your life has a vocation, I'd say it's important that they actually interact, that they see religious, that they go to, uh, you know, if, if they're able to go to masses said by religious brothers or visit the sisters to, to actually get to know these people and what their life is like. That's probably a, a hugely important factor. So my fondest memories, actually, as a children, when you bring this up, Philip, and if you're just joining us, that's Phil Campbell. He's the author of the latest book on St. Genevieve, that is Matron of Paris. He also wrote the book Wounds of Love, among others. That story chronicles the life of St. Padre Pio. Uh, but you're reminding you, and you talk about the presence of religious being more normative at the time of St. Genevieve and kind of setting that example for religious vocation. As a young child, we used to have uh, this order of religious sisters uh, that would take their vacation just down the road from our family home growing up. They would rent a house out and they'd come at least once, sometimes twice a year for their vacation and kind of retreat from the convent. And I loved it. We'd see them walking down the street and we would be so excited they were there. And as they're on their vacation in their own way, they always ended up spending time with our family and really ministering to our family just by their presence. You know, we'd have games and play and you know, spend that time with them. 
And it was, you know, that honor and that respect and that love for um, these religious sisters who had such a profound love for Jesus Christ and such a gentle uh, demeanor about them. I know it left a major impression upon me, and it was such an honor when they were in town and when they'd you know, grace us with their presence. Um, but Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. If there was more of that, I, I was recently driving back from Ohio, and I just stopped at the, at the rest stop. And I went in and there was three Dominican sisters ordering coffee from the Starbucks kiosk. And I was like so thrilled to see them in there, you know, just like you don't see them around anymore. And I I wish we did. And for those who do, it's a great blessing. You're reminding me last year for a year, I lived just a few minutes away from a cloistered Carmelite convent. And one day I was walking my daughter, just pushing her in the stroller and a minivan of nuns came driving by and they must have been, you know, on their way to some appointment, but I knew they had to have been from the cloister. And they were bouncing and bobbing, and like all of them were sticking their heads up against the window and out the windows. And I was waving, and I was so excited. And they were waving because they were looking at the baby, and they were so excited. It really is a <laughs> gift to have our religious sisters. And I always try to chase them down when I see them at an airport or just out in public in general, just say hello. Yep. Um, it's a joy for us. And I think often it's a joy for them too to interact with um, just the world around them sometimes especially those who are maybe not out uh, in the communities as much so let's come back to the matron of paris book share with me a little bit more about why she is known that is saint genevieve your book on saint genevieve known as specifically the matron of paris what what happens as she moves into her adult life yeah well she becomes a nun in the city of paris at a very troubled time in the city's history she lives at the transition between the roman empire and the medieval kingdom of france so she's born in the roman empire but the roman empire falls while she's alive and there's like this vacuum of authority where everything kind of descends into chaos for a few years the roman authority is gone there's these bands of pagan barbarians that are ravaging the countryside which you've There's quite a bit of that in the book. Um, And so Paris is very exposed. It's very vulnerable. There's nobody that's clearly in charge or who is capable of protecting the city. And Genevieve, through her holiness and through her force of character, kind of steps into that gap and organizes the civil defense of the city of Paris in these various crises. And it's such a singular thing in history, the city like Paris uh, with a with a nun in charge of defending the city against barbarians, um, but she does it multiple times. Uh, she saves the city on multiple occasions. Um, she 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 at one point everybody's going to abandon the city when it's going to be attacked, and she encourages them to stay put and and pray and defend the city, and everything works out. And then another time, the city gets captured, but she negotiates with the um, with the attackers to provide. Uh, food to relieve the starving citizens of the city. And then she negotiates afterwards for the release of prisoners, the humane treatment of captives, the protection of holy places, and uh, and really kind of facilitates this transition between Roman rule and uh, Frankish barbarian rule. And so she's um, she had this kind of reputation as being the mother of the city whose strong force of character and influence with God was capable of moving events and moving the hearts of these these pagan barbarians. And then eventually she's there when the, the Frankish barbarians start to convert to Christianity and, and France starts to become a Christian country. That happens more during her old age. But um, so she really is a motherly figure over the city of Paris. Um, and she even protected it after her death. Centuries after her death in the Middle Ages, there was a horrible plague. And uh, they, they did a, the Bishop of Paris did a procession um, with the uh, the relics of Genevieve and uh, people who touched the relics were healed and the whole plague abated when they brought out her relics. It's one of her most famous <laughs> posthumous miracles. So um, just her constant protection over the city of Paris and its people, both during her life and afterward, is what have, have earned her being the, uh, the patron saint of, of Paris. Matron of Paris, a story of St. Genevieve. We're going to post a link on social media. I'm speaking with the author now, Philip Campbell. The book's truly a page turn. I'm reading through it now. And one of the things I appreciate is I started to read through this. I thought, oh my goodness, I 
would have loved to read this when I was a young girl in particular. And sure enough, as I was looking at the back cover, it says suitable for ages 10 and up. I'm enjoying it now as an adult, but it really made me appreciate the fact that you are bringing the stories of the saints to life, such as with your wounds of love, uh, chronicling the life of St. Padre Pio from his youth. What inspired you to do this in a way that was accessible for all ages? Well, I think any good story needs to be accessible for all ages. Like there's a there's a saying that I keep in mind when I write and when I read that, uh, you know, if 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 the story is boring for an adult, it's going to be boring for a child, you know. And I've seen saint literature before uh, that's been written in the past decades, and I would read it and I'd think, uh, this isn't as exciting or as engaging as it could be. You know, it's more of like just relating the facts. And I, I think when you tell a good story, it's going to be engaging to all ages, you know, regardless. And so, as you know, from reading the book, it, it's definitely uh, accessible to younger readers, but there's themes and there's the way it's written. It's meant to appeal to uh, adults as well. So I just think if you got a good story, a beautiful story, then it should appeal to all ages. And the saints ha- are some of the best stories in our whole Western civilization. So they should appeal to everyone. And I, I hope I was able to capture that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that stands out to me too, kind of thinking about it from the perspective of youth, so many parents are struggling to see their youth you know, go off to high school or out of in high school, start to lose their faith out of high school into college, stop practicing their faith. I think that chronicling and telling the stories of the St. Star children is so important to be inspired by these incredible people who were countercultural, but still lived these vivacious lives because I think there's this misunderstanding. Um, to be quote unquote holy means you're a holy roller, you're a loner. And yes, there are moments in life where you definitely feel like a loner, I think, when you're trying to follow Christ, but you, through spiritual growth and through the grace of Christ kind of giving you friendships and a deeper relationship with him, you see that that void that sometimes happens when separating yourself from the world and culture at times and bad relationships is truly filled uh, as time progresses. And I think the stories of the saints help show that drama that is so human of that loneliness sometimes from the isolation, but at the same time, the fullness of life that occurs when you give your life to Christ. Yes, exactly. And uh, I don't know how far you are in the book, so I'm not going to discuss spoilers or anything. But, you you know, uh, I mean, probably from early on in the book, I, I don't shy away from the difficulties that Genevieve faced, both in her own faith and in the world around her. Uh, she lived through some really dark times and, and had to deal with a lot of suffering. And I try to face that head on. I tried not to overly sanitize her and make her so otherworldly that she was unrelatable. But I also tried to avoid what you see with other materials sometimes where they try to make the saints so much like us that they don't seem inspiring at all. <laughs> you know, so I, tr- I tried to kind of get that place where grace and nature touch each other, you know, and show the action of grace and how it works in a person's life concretely through their circumstances. You can pick up the book Matron of Paris through Tan Books. It's published by Tan. We're posting a link on social media, and I'm also giving away a copy of this book as well. So check out my Instagram. We'll be sharing details with that over the next hour or two uh, if you'd like to uh, be a part of that giveaway to receive a copy as well. Uh, Philip Campbell, I know you also wrote St. Padre Pio's book, Wounds of Love, this year. I've not read it yet. I'm excited to dive into it. But do you follow much of the same um mean like type of writing that you fill in kind of some of the details and you make it accessible uh for all ages yes except uh yeah same style of writing the only difference is because padre pio was so recent there was less to fill in like every you know almost every facet of his life has been documented and in the padre pio book like when you're reading padre pio's conversations much of his speech is taken from letters and things that he wrote and actually said. Whereas with Genevieve, I had to fill a lot of that in. So I think with Padre Pio, you're getting more actual history, but it's still written in the same style. It's still in that same uh, sort of dramatized uh, biographical uh, style. So it, it is it is uh, similar, but just there was more history available with Padre Pio. So it's more historical. 
It's fabulous and it's accessible because you're taking all of it, you're weaving it together using direct, you know, verbiage from these conversations, from these letters. So Wounds of Love is the book, A Journey in the Life of St. Padre Pio from his youth. And Matron of Paris is a story of St. Genevieve. You can purchase these at Tan Books. We'll post a link on social media to both, as well as checking out Philip Campbell's work at philipcampbell.net. That's C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.net. We'll post a link on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining me and for bringing the stories of the saints to life for us. I had never known anything about St. Genevieve before picking up your book. And so it's a joy to have this opportunity to learn about this great saint. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I'll be back in just a few moments answering your questions, questions coming in about adoption, among other topics. And I'll be joined to share with you a little bit about a Catholic college fair coming up this Friday. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to Trending. We're taking your questions today. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Some fun questions, interesting questions coming in. Um, One coming from Carolina in Monterey, California. California. Uh, Your question is if there are any resources she'd recommend with regard to Catholic adoptions. And I wanted to share a little bit of her story because it's quite neat. She said her and her husband uh, were blessed with a child later in life. And she said she's now gone through menopause and is no longer able to conceive a baby. She had her baby girl is just three years old, and it took her a little while to recover after the delivery, having postpartum preeclampsia. Anyway, so prayers for her as she and her husband are seeking to adopt a a child. They've been trying for the last couple of years to adopt a baby with no luck so far. worked through foster-to-adopt options as well as trying private adoption options. And it's interesting because she's sharing that, you know, many agencies start to push and being opposed to placing a baby for adoption as her and her husband are in their mid-40s now. And so she's asking for any resources and also uh, asking for prayers as well. So Carolina, know of my prayers for you as you and your husband are open to life and desiring uh, to adopt this baby uh, that I know God's going to have a special, um, special, special future in store for you and your parenthood and for your child, um, God willing to have a sibling. Okay, so some resources, I'm sure because you're reaching out, um, we always recommend Catholic charities. I know in many places, Catholic charities have had to shut down their adoptive services specifically because of um, the push to um, try to force them to place children with same-sex couples. So uh, that is one option to get in contact with Catholic charities uh, and talk to them about resources um, for adoption. Another place I'd really recommend, especially having worked in the crisis pregnancy centers myself, uh, is to reach out to your local crisis pregnancy centers. Kind of um, see if there are any recommendations they have as well. I know that in some of the crisis pregnancy centers I've worked with, there have been opportunities where we knew of couples who were seeking um, to adopt a baby. And I actually just heard the other day of a Catholic, um, of a Catholic couple who cannot uh, raise their baby and they're placing a child for adoption. So I actually um, might look into that because the couple was looking to place their child uh, with another Catholic couple. Uh, So there are resources. I think it's keeping um, connected in the community right now. It's very challenging because on average, the wait time for adopting is very, very long. There are hundreds of couples looking to adopt for every child that's placed here in the United States. And so I know, like you mentioned, Carolina, people are recommending that you try to adopt abroad and you've been encouraged to do so. And I think it's something to prayerfully consider. I know my heart in particular, and I've actually done a show on this before, is with those children in China, um, especially with what's happening in China, where if you are not given permission to be born, Uh, by the government and you weren't forcibly aborted, uh, that if you were born and you were not given permission because you didn't fit their one or two 
or three-child policy, whatever it is in that province or area you're in. And again, you have to be married to, in order to have those children. And what it's been in the past is you could have one child, but then you can only have two if perhaps you came from families with only one child. There are a lot of odd restrictions on that, but basically there are children still being born. And if um, that's discovered, a lot of these children are placed in orphanages and they have no birth certificate. They have no access to health care or education because the government didn't give them permission to be born. I bring this up because I think sometimes when we're told, you know, try adopting a child overseas, uh, it's frustrating because we do want to help children here in our own community. But sometimes there are also opportunities to help with the horrible abortion regime um, that is pressing down in other countries such as China. Uh, so I know that there are really good resources for reaching out um, to love and protect these children in China um, as well. But I'd really encourage, again, Catholic charities, contact your local, local crisis pregnancy centers, prayerfully discern um, adopting potentially a child from China, and pray, pray to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide you and where to go to adopt a baby. I know and the Holy Spirit is so powerful and working in our lives and guiding us. And just like a symphony, bringing all of these pieces in our life together, we just need to be docile to the Holy Spirit. And I also think it's important when we're talking about being open to life. Uh, sometimes when you're not ha able to conceive children, but you're looking to adopt children, I've spoken to many couples who have been through the adoption process, and they've often talked about how once they open their hearts to adopting, often ch children did not come exactly in the timing or the context or the type of situation that they exactly had wanted or hoped, but that what they learned was in being open to life, as we are called to as Catholics in marriage, that just as when a married couple maybe isn't able to conceive when they hope or suddenly surprise have a have a baby when they didn't quite expect to and it's difficult that sometimes um, when you're adopting it's a challenge to couples to be open to life and that the circumstances might not be quite what you were thinking or hoped so that's what i often hear from couples who have adopted so I hope that's helpful, Carolina. Very exciting for you and my prayers for you and your family as you discern next steps and may the Holy Spirit guide you in adopting a baby. And I just offer a prayer for Carolina and anyone who's experienced infertility and is hoping for a baby. Let's pray together for all of those um, who are in this fertility struggle. We'll pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Hope, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Joining me now today on Trending, and by the way, we're still taking your questions, numbers 1-888-914-9149, but joining me now is Jordan Almanzer. He's a director of alumni and public relations at Colby Academy, and this coming Friday, there is a Catholic college fair being hosted by Colby. Jordan, share with me a little bit more about what's coming up this Friday. Hey, Timory, thanks for having me back on. Um, yeah, we've put together... I think uh, the most action-packed four hours that you could do on Friday, if you're interested in um, looking at the Newman Guide Colleges that uh, are going to be represented there. So we've got a great lineup. We're also going to have special guests from the Cardinal Newman Society, from the CLT, which is the Classical Learning Test, and from FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. So a lot of special guests and a way to get access online um, it's going to be a Zoom uh, event, but a, a way to really be able to talk to uh, representatives of these colleges, get a lot of information for students who are looking to attend one of these faithfully Catholic colleges. Can you rattle off some of the names, the colleges that will be there presenting? Yeah, sure. So University of Mary, uh, we're going to have representatives from Magdalene, which is actually where I am right now doing this. I kind of walk both worlds. So I, I, I work for Colby Academy. Also, Magdalene College will be there. Benedictine University of St. Thomas in Houston. Pretty much all the colleges that uh, that you see if you go to the um, if you if you check out the Cardinal Newman Society website, even an international school, um, the University of Navarra, which is in Spain, will be there. 
Fantastic. I didn't know that the Cardinal Newman Society listed some of the schools that are abroad. That's exciting for those who have their travel itch in them to get out of the country, not just out of perhaps the state they're living in. And for those who don't know, Cardinal Newman Society chronicles all of these universities and even chronicling chronicling, um, high schools that are faithful to the magisterium and teach authentic Catholic church teaching. And so for you guys at Colby Academy to be pulling together this college fair, it's really one of its kind because it's providing that opportunity to actually really discern and check out these schools and the programs they offer. Now, Jordan, I know a lot of the complaints I will hear from parents who end up choosing not to send their children to a Catholic university, an authentically Catholic university, is that they claim they can't find a university with some of the degrees that are very popular in the 21st century. We're talking anything from things in tech and business to nursing. So can you talk a little bit about some of these schools that offer those degrees and perhaps others that are more um, interesting to parents who are willing to actually invest in their kids' education. Yeah, sure. I mean, it is a huge opportunity. There's been a lot of growth, I think, amongst these universities to fill that need and and uh, give parents opportunities to send their children to places where they can play sports. Um, Franciscan University in Steubenville has an excellent engineering program. For example, the University of St. Thomas in Houston. They do a lot with tech and they're very innovative and they they offer degrees in that space, which is exciting. And University of Mary in North Dakota is fantastic with um, nursing. They have a great nursing program and just an overall really uh, kind of newer to us. But but I here at Colby, I, I really like this college. It's Walsh in Ohio, Walsh University in Ohio. They're fantastic um, with the sciences, and there's a lot that you can do there. So it is a little bit surprising maybe to some people that that you can go to a, a, an authentically Catholic college and get a degree such as a science degree or something in the tech space, which I think is uh, is is great for the, it's a great outlook for the future and a really good opportunity. So we want to feature quite a bit of that. Uh, let the colleges speak for themselves at our event this Friday. Now, Jordan, even I was thinking earlier, I was reading something about a student now graduate who had studied at Franciscan, studying, you know, in the area of psychology and therapy. I know that's a really popular area for many people who are interested in today. Are you familiar with other schools outside of Franciscan that offer programs such as that? Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure there are quite a few. I, I guess I would think of University of Mary would, uh, that's where I would, I would say people should should check for something similar like that. I know that they do a lot with sciences and they're very innovative. That's one of the things that I think is really cool about that school. Um, they So they do like year round schooling so you can earn your degree a little, a little quicker than you might if you just do the traditional semester mm-hmm. path. Um, but it, their innovation, that's who comes to mind. I, I feel like they would be pushing the, the uh, kind of pushing for mm-hmm. some of these practical degrees that people could use right away. And I even think of my own alma mater that's on the Cardinal Newman Society Guide, and that's John Paul the Great Catholic University in sunny San Diego, although it's not been very sunny in Southern California lately. Um, But, you know, I remember one of the reasons why I chose to study there before I changed majors to theology was the business launchpad program was very oriented toward, you know, you go to JP Catholic, and instead of four years, like you said, you go year round, you're on the quarter system, you go all year round, you finish in three years with your degree. And with the business program, it's really oriented toward you launching a business coming out of school and focusing on entrepreneurship that is so, I think, common for people to desire today the idea of working for yourself, uh, but really discerning whether or not you can run with an idea and launch a business potentially. Yeah. And especially you mentioned um, JP Catholic. I mean, that that's an excellent place for people who are really creative, as you know. I mean, it's it's people will go there and they study film and, and uh, they're able to to sort of as you say, launch a business, come up with an idea and, and be an artist in a way. And uh, it's just a great opportunity to be in sunny Southern California at one of these kind of schools. So they'll be there as well. They're on our list and uh, they'll be represented at the event. 
Jordan, I really appreciate you joining me today. Check out the awesome work of Colby Academy offering. Can you share, for those who don't aren't familiar perhaps with Colby Academy, I know you guys are offering this college fair, but you guys actually work a lot in the area of homeschooling, which is a huge trend today, Jordan. And I'm amazed by all of the people who my jaw's dropping as I say, wait, you're homeschooling now? In your <laughs> homeschooling? I think a lot of eyes were opened during COVID to the fact that kids are spending too much time at school. They're getting poor education and that kids need to spend more time with their parents too. So tell me a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, that is uh, during COVID, everyone got a front seat to their child's education and, uh, you know, Colby as well. And I think people really loved what they found. You're right. We offer all kinds of uh, ways of educating. Um, and it's, and it's K through 12. So we feed naturally into these colleges um, you can find out more at colby.org. And if you want to check out the the um, page for the college fair, colby.org forward slash college fair. And uh, we'd love to co- for you to come. It's a free event and uh, just pop in for a little bit or stay for the entire four hours if you'd like. I'll post the link on social media as well to Colby's website as well as the college fair. And that's K-O-L-B-E.org. Oh, Question from Patrick, what ages would be good for attending this college fair? Yeah, I would say juniors and seniors in high school would be best, but it's not too early for anyone. Anyone who's who's interested in, and maybe didn't know about these kind of colleges, they should check it out. But really, it'll be targeted to juniors and then seniors who are still making their decisions. Fantastic. Check that out at colby.org forward slash college fair. And we'll post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes for today's show. So just head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending to catch those podcast notes as well as anywhere where you catch your podcast. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Again, that's been Jordan Almanzer, the Director of Alumni and Public Relations for Colby Academy. Check them out at colby.org. That's K-O-L-B-E dot org. I'll be right back today on Trending, taking your questions. Number is one 914 9149 or you can ask your question on social media as well. listening to Trending with Timry, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timry. Happy to take your questions today. The number is 1-888-914-9149, or you can ask your question by emailing me as well. Just check out our page, relevantradio.com forward slash trending to connect. I had a number of questions come in on social media via email over the last couple of days. So I wanted to dive into them. And by the way, everyone keeps sending me a message on Instagram. I did not create a new Instagram profile. That's a hack. That's a fake. So if you're getting weird messages from me in a page that looks like mine, it's not. I've not been hacked. The original page is still there. Um, okay, question. So this one's coming from Therese on Instagram. She said, my daughter has severe dietary issues. Did yours improve um, your dietary issues after giving birth? I heard pregnancy helps. Um, And thank you for the prayers, Therese. Okay, great question. For those who don't know, I'm allergic to gluten, soy, corn, and dairy, peanuts, and shrimp. I also had at one point over 30 food allergies, and I've had Hashimoto's disease as well as polycystic ovarian syndrome, both impacting fertility. And let's just say it's a beast of trying to eat food. Um, I've also had reactions to like pesticides and hormones in foods. It's a long story and a lot to talk about. I've discussed it here. Um, but praise God, we've been able to have two children now. And I really do praise God. I attribute that in part um, in many ways to having received anointing of the sick. And I shared my story yesterday as we talk about um, the murder of Bishop David O'Connell, whom I knew personally and had really prayed over me uh, and made intercessory prayers for me and um, addressed what he thought might be um, the need for um, some exorcism type prayers that might be preventing me from having children. And um, so I shared that story yesterday here on Trending, but great question about food allergies and if they improved after having a baby. You know, my 
we've been doing a lot to work on my health and having the ability to eat and not be tired and um, not just kind of struggle day to day. I feel a million times better every day, day to day than I did. I didn't know I could feel so good. And after having both of my girls, I can say um, that my cycle has been a little more regular as much as I did have it uh, in between children, but that in general, my hormones do seem to be doing better, but they are usually uh, my thyroid acts up while I'm pregnant. So I do think there's been some improvement in my health, but I also am ve- I've had to be really strict with um, my food. And when I do kind of, if I were to slip up, I'm even being strict with sugar and things. Um, it just really does impact whether it's been while I've been pregnant or even postpartum. Postpartum is really hard for me if I don't um, eat really clean in addition to not eating what I'm allergic to. So I hope that answers your questions. I think everyone's different. I have heard some people who after having a baby, like their hormones and a lot of things really do kind of regulate out. And I did see some of this as well. And I think for some, it's more than others. I've also heard of some people who have had um, dietary restrictions or food allergies um, oh, or sensitivities that when they're pregnant, they can eat those things. Um, I actually ended up in the hospital, though, right before having my daughter because I ate something that I wasn't allergic to, but has always kind of caused an issue for me. And I ate it, and the next day I had an allergic reaction. And I've learned, interesting fact, if you eat something you're allergic to while you're pregnant, um, that if you have an allergic reaction, that allergic reaction can actually um, decrease the amount of blood flow, um, to the placenta and therefore to the baby and can actually cause a decrease in fetal movement and heart rate. So I actually don't think I shared what happened. We ended up in the emergency room, um, just a day before I had my baby girl and I had had a severe allergic reaction in the middle of the night, was really having a lot of difficulty breathing. Um, we were able to deal with that and I was fine, but, Um, I woke up in the morning and I realized I hadn't felt her move all through the night since that happened. I didn't connect the two of these things, but when we ended up in the emergency room, because we hadn't had any um, fetal movement, movement from the baby, um, and they had also detected a lower heartbeat, um, we learned that that was what was causing all of this, was that allergic reaction. So, I've definitely learned, you know, if you're sensitive to foods or have food allergies, you've got to be really careful um, while pregnant because that can impact the baby if if you have an allergic reaction that happened for me. But praise God, in the end, uh, baby girl ended up bouncing back after about 12 hours after uh, my allergic reaction. So a great question and kind of just some other interesting things that I've learned about pregnancy and food allergies, which I am just navigating every day. Um, okay, so another question came in from Suzanne in New Mexico. A lot of questions about babies, among other things lately. Suzanne's question said that she heard me recommend a sleep program for children for babies a while back. And she said her daughter had a good sleeper, but the 15-month-old is now really fighting a sleeping at night. Okay, Suzanne, this is a great question. And I've learned with sleeping in babies that they go through so many developmental changes that when those developmental changes occur, um, sleeping can get messed up and you have to figure out how to re-navigate that. So a program I really like is called Taking Care of Babies. You can find her at takingcareofbabies.com. Kara is spelled C-A-R-A. Kara is her name, so it's Taking Care of Babies. I'll post a link on social media as well as the episode notes. Um, But Taking Care of Babies, I like because it's not this like, it's not supposed to be this rigid sleep schedule that is cold and sterile where you put your child down and then don't interact with the child at all and then force a child to stay in the crib or wherever and then you engage with the child for 20 minutes and then put the child back. Um, I'm sorry to be critical, but I think it's kind of inhumane when you just like force your kid to stay <laughs> in a room. I, you know, kids need uh, the psychology is clear. Erica Komazar in her book, Being There the First Three Years, really chronicles the importance of um, face-to-face interaction and meeting a child's needs in there's first three years. So I think we've got to be careful. So there's a difference between like helping your child to become a good sleeper. And, uh, and I think that's important and helping your child to be a good sleeper versus forcing them to be on this really rigid schedule. Don't get me wrong. I really depend on naps because that's when I get my work done and prep for the show done because I really try not to work when the girls are awake. Anyways, I give all of that caveat because I do want to just mention when talking about the sleeping program, it's easy to say like, wow, this works like a science and I can force my kid to sleep in this way. And I think it's important to be careful with that. It does take about 
anywhere from a week to 12 days to do the training and there are different phases so she has like a newborn phase that kind of just helps you in like navigating like how to rock a baby to help soothe them and understanding when you've kept your baby up too long that's a big thing with taking care of babies she helps you understand that if your baby has been awake too long that you basically miss your window to put the baby to nap and then you have a grumpy kid and so she has a lot of science behind how long a baby is usually able to be up for based on the age and developmental stage that the baby's in. So like my daughter right now is really kind of half an hour-ish, but what you do is you pay attention for sleeping cues. Like a baby might give a sleeping cue such as a yawn or avoiding eye contact. And so knowing those things combined with a sleeping window of what's usually kind of appropriate for that age um, is helpful for knowing not to have a really, really grouchy mean baby because baby hasn't slept enough or has been kept up too long. So it's been really helpful for me. The things I don't use from taking care of babies, because she's really specific and you really do have to follow it. I personally am very opposed to pacifiers, bobos, sites, whatever you call them in your language and culture. Um, But I really am just not a fan of them. And a lot of the medical dad out there really opposes them uh, now. So I don't use a pacifier. And I know that's one of the options she uses to help put a baby to sleep. And I'm going to just say it. And I know people are going to be upset, but I have my baby sleep on her tummy. That's what people have always done historically, and I know a lot of people are scared out of doing that. It's not a medical recommendation. It's not something that taking care of babies specifically recommends, but I remember when I had my first daughter and she was having a hard time sleeping, both of my parents, we had my mother-in-law, a bunch of people said, just have the baby sleep on her tummy. It's better for neck and development, and the research is really out there to support it. I don't understand why we're being scared of out of sleeping um, our babies in ways that are safe as well. And I don't bind her. I don't, um, I don't do like the body bags and, and, um, and I don't do a ton of swaddles personally, just a little bit of like, wait to help the baby sleep. And that's, so that's kind of how I've worked with the taking care of baby sleeping program because you need your sleep. I've learned that as a parent. I love taking care of babies because I actually sleep because I do this. I, I, really, really recommend it. And one of the things I love about this program is the dream feeds where you kind of feed your baby before you go to sleep if she's been sleeping for a little while to help the baby sleep a little longer so that you can sleep too. I need sleep. And I know some of the questions earlier had to do with health stuff. Um, For me, especially with thyroid issues, being able to sleep at night has been a game changer. So those are some of the questions that are coming in. I know so many questions here um, about babies. People are asking about, yes, here's another question. I'm in search of a good Catholic Bible study for my husband and I to do during Lent. I was wondering if you would have any suggestions. That's a great question. Uh, Ashley's asking this on Instagram right now. Um, a Catholic Bible study for during Lent. I don't know of a specific one for couples in particular, but I do really like some of the Catholic Bible studies produced by Scott Hahn, if you want to look into his Catholic Bible Bible studies. Um, I also think that Ignatius Press has a really fantastic Bible, the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, where you can, and Scott Hahn actually wrote it, you can go in depth into the scriptures and kind of, okay, well, what does that word mean? What's the historical context of this? And they've actually done most of the Old Testament, if not having finished it yet, in all the New Testament. So you can get the full New Testament Ignatius Catholic Study Bible with notes from Scott, Dr. Scott Hahn, as well as most of the Old Testament. And one of my favorite Old Testament um, Catholic study Bible books that you can pick up um, are the wisdom literature, looking at Psalms and wisdom and Proverbs. Those are really rich and profound. And I think especially helpful during Lent, if you're wanting to try and work on, you know, your interaction as a couple or just your interaction day to day. Proverbs is full of very spiritually profound, but at the same time, almost pithy sayings um, that we need to take more seriously and how we conduct ourselves day to day, you know, how we interact with money, how we interact with our spouses, understanding the God-given intention and plan for our human interaction. Uh, it's a great resource. So Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, we'll post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes uh, to some of those resources for Bible studies. Fantastic 
fantastic question, Ashley. Um, okay, looking for, we have time for like just one or two more questions. I know we have so many uh, coming in right now. A lot of people are saying, welcome back from maternity leave. Thank you. It's good to be back with you. Um, another person on Instagram is asking what it's been like being back to the show and just navigating parenting two kids. It's definitely been a bigger adjustment than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I think we also bit off more than we could or should have chewed with regard to the fact that we sold a house, bought a house, moved cross country, had a kid, ended up in the NICU and adjusted to two children all in the course of about two months. So that was kind of a lot. So I think that's part of the reason why the judgment's been more challenging. Um, But I'm really grateful because my husband works East Coast hours. And so he's home early in the afternoon so that um, whether it's during the show or if I need to get maybe another hour of work done when the girls aren't napping, um, he's home so he can really play and have time with them because that's been something really important um, to me. And I know we talk a lot about the research behind it and that, you know, kids are meant to have their parents, especially kid children need their mothers in particular in those formative years. Uh, Erica Komazar is one of our guests and she talks about the importance of the medical data behind the first three years of a mom being 100% present to her child. I say 100% present. That doesn't mean that, you know, mom doesn't go and run some errands and do things and maybe need some help here and there throughout the week, Uh, but that a child's needs need to be met by the mother and that this has been really, you know, even the fact that we can nurse our children for a few years, if you so chose, and the fact that the health outcome of the child is better if the child's nursed, directly nursed by the parent the first year, um, shows that God really created this attachment between mother and children to be very, very rich in those first few years. I was talking to a priest friend of mine. We were talking about the importance of Moms not just being home with their children, but present to their children. And we'll post a link on social media as well. Patrick will grab that link for me um, to where Erica Komazar talks about how to be present to your kid. Because I know that's hard and a lot of parents sometimes don't necessarily stick around because they don't know what to do. And there are so many distractions. Uh, but I was talking to a priest friend of mine. He was saying that he had read a study that um, it has been known historically. I've not put my hands on the study yet, but he's huge into research. That's been known historically that the um, convents and monasteries said that if a ch- if they had a child for the first eight years of their life, that if the convent or, again, the monastery like raised that child for the first eight years, the child was guaranteed to actually, even if they left the faith, to come back to their Catholic faith and have a very strong faith later on if they even left to begin with. So just talking about how important those first, you know, eight, ten years are of that quality time and building up the faith in your child, that your child won't get that if you don't pass that on. So thanks for joining me today. Family Rosary Across America coming up next. Don't forget, tomorrow's Ash Wednesday. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Wednesday, joining me for our weekly Gentleman's Hour is Joe Sakura, licensed marriage and family therapist, here to take your questions. We're also going to answer that question, what do men want in life, in relationships? So join me Wednesday for our weekly Gentleman's Hour, taking again your questions. It's your opportunity to talk to a therapist. Join me daily at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.